0: You're listening to The Jefferson Exchange. I'm Vanessa Finney. Today, I'm debuting a new segment called My Better Half, which will focus on inspirational stories of how people are thriving in the second half of their lives, whether through taking on new endeavors or reaching new heights in more familiar ones. I'm thrilled to welcome as my first guest in this series, the renowned musician and singer-songwriter Judy Collins. Judy debuted as a piano prodigy at the age of 13, but rather than pursue a career in the World of classical music, she took up the guitar and became a celebrated folk singer and social activist, finding time to write several memoirs on different topics along the way. Over the past six decades, she's released nearly 60 albums. The latest came out this year, and you'll hear a clip or two of that today. Judy Collins, welcome to the Jefferson Exchange.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on your new series. That's
0: lovely. Thank you. I have to start by complimenting you on the live show you put on because I caught your show at the Rogue Theater last week and you connected so well with the audience that they were actually calling things out to you by the end. And I remember it as you singing these moving songs and then basically joking around for five minutes. It was really fun.
1: (laughs) <laughs> good. Well, I love that. I love that theater, and I had an awfully good time.
0: You could tell, and it put us all at ease. It was a really uh, a memorable night. And, good. you know, a lot of singers find that they lose some of their high notes as the years go on, but that doesn't seem to be the case for you. I was struck by just how good your voice sounded. You had these soaring vocals, and I know you gave up smoking a long time ago. Do you do anything else to pamper your voice or exercise it?
1: Well, I had, first of all, I was always a student. I was a piano pianist, so I studied classical music for my, the first third of my life, I guess you would say, or the first fourth of my life, um, being 20, 40, 60, 80, <laughs> the first fourth. And when I began to be singing on the road and having a huge, almost immediately, an overnight career that demanded that I go out and go travel and go and sing everywhere. I was losing my voice a lot. So in 1965, I was led to a teacher that I studied with for 32 years. So that has everything to do with the way I sing today. You know, he said, if you listen to me, if you do what I teach you, you'll be able to sing till you fall over. So (laughs) that's always been my goal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's definitely uh, having a wonderful effect.
1: I'm very lucky.
0: I'd like to play oh, a clip uh, from this album called Spellbound, and let's hear the title track right now.
1: Good. How I long to sing the day, doing what I saw you do. How you lived and danced in light, yearning to know what life knew. Whittled down the drinking gong, to whimper towards the side of life.
0: So that was the title track from the album you just released in February, Spellbound. Talk to us about writing that song.
1: Oh, it was so exciting! I started working on this album of all my own songs in twenty, probably twenty seventeen, and began to put things together. And I spent some—I've spent some time in the over the years in Honolulu, and uh, I was there again in twenty nineteen. And I remembered, of course, the 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 I sang. I was able to sing it in Honolulu because I'd written it two or three years before, and it's really a reflection on the difference between my first trip to Honolulu in nineteen in sixty six. I was traveling with Mimi Farina and Arlo Guthrie, and Mimi said she wouldn't go to Japan with me to work unless I would go to Hawaii on the way back. So. And you know, I was still drinking in those days, so I wanted, I wanted to say something about the the beauty of the place, but also the change in my life uh, and how different I was, and how beautiful the island was. And the island just encourages you to be, to be able to go with the flow. I guess is what happens. So that was the reason that I. I think I was able to write the song there in Hawaii and then to sing it and to record it.
0: Yeah, well, it's a spellbinding song. The the vocals are just beautiful. Thank you. So with this latest release, you sort of have two bookend albums. In 1961, you released your first one, Made of Constant Sorrow, and that was all interpreting other people's work. And then with the release of Spellbound in February... Uh, it's all originals. What made you put that off releasing an all-original album until just this year?
1: I worked at it. I certainly had a lot of songs. I took a few months off in 1971 to uh, go out to Long Island and to write to write songs, and I had a good a good handful handful. But I have, in the years since 1966, when Leonard Cohen said to me, I, I don't understand why you're not writing your own songs. I've continued to write constantly, but I never felt that I had the whole shebang. I didn't ever feel that I had the whole thing. And now I do, but it has taken a long time. I think it was just a matter of time. And it is one of the things that you talk about in your new series. It's a gift of time. It's a gift of patience. It's a gift of actually doing the work every day, getting the songs written, getting the poems written, sitting down at the piano, finding a way to shape them as a song. So it's, it's mainly, I think, the result of process, my own, my own understanding of my own process and the need to be creative as much as possible.
0: Okay, so you've just felt more capable and have had more confidence in recent years to do this. I think
1: so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: This is the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Vanessa Finney, and today I'm debuting a new segment called My Better Half, where we hear how people are flourishing in the second half of their lives. My guest is 83-year-old singer, composer, and author Judy Collins. You mentioned Leonard Cohen, and it's interesting, you both uh, had given each other nudges, friendly nudges over the years. Over the weekend, I happened to see the latest documentary on Leonard Cohen, Hallelujah, oh. which you <laughs> appear in. And one of the things they asked you about was how you encouraged him to sing his own material, and you shared your stage with him to get him started in in that aspect. Now, that advocacy of musicians is something you sort of became known for. In fact, you and another filmmaker made a documentary about your former former piano teacher and conductor, Antonia Brica, which led to some prestigious invitations for her. Are you still finding time to mentor
1: artists or advocate for them? Well, I do that, I think, as a matter of necessity. There are so many wonderful musicians, and I have wound up working with a few brilliant people, most lately. And I think I have to give him credit for encouraging the songwriting. I I started working with Ari Hest, a young singer-songwriter who, he was uh, on the Columbia label for a couple of years, and then he and I met when he was doing, I was doing a show at the Cutting Room in in, uh, 2012, the end of the year, and he opened for me here in New York, and it was during the week where a lot of, Um, owners of venues come to new york to hear artists so we were scattered all over the city and uh, my manager heard him and said you know you've got to work with this guy he's a genius so we started touring together and singing together and then i found a song of his that i loved and recorded that on a uh, my um my irish album which i made in ireland of course Mm -hmm. and then he and i decided we would start writing songs together which we did we wrote an entire album called silver skies blue and it was nominated for grammy it was his first grammy it was my first grammy in 40 years (laughs) so (laughs) i now hold the record of years between grammys anyway then uh, because we'd had that experience of writing together, I invited him to come in and look in on a couple of songs. I, I always have a songwriting process going on. I always have notebooks. I always have things that I've worked out on the piano, at least partially. So I invited him, which I had never done before, to have a listen to a couple of things and see if he had any ideas. And they inspired me then to pick up my own toolkit and really continue on my writing myself. So really, it's meeting other artists and interacting with them and finding out what the magic is that they have that might pair with yours. I often sing with Ari, and I don't know anybody that I've ever sung with in all these years that I feel more comfortable and happy with singing with. Hmm. Um, on stage, so and also in recording. So I think it's a matter of reaching out, of being present in your creative life, of being interested in other artists and their work.
0: Yes, it sort of lets uh, fresh creative air come in, where you can play off each other. Yeah, and spur each other on. And, you know, talking about that collaboration makes me think about an idea I've been kicking around. I don't know if this question will go anywhere, but you, it's how you relate to other artists. So you're a trained musician, so you certainly feel some affinity with others who have devoted their lives to that art. In fact, I have a music friend who said that studying an instrument will change your personality, you know, probably talking yeah. about the discipline it takes. Um, I was wondering if you also feel a special connection with other songwriters that's different from the fellowship you feel with musicians, sort of a different tribe. You know, you have the respect as a musician, but is there something different about a storyteller that...
1: Oh yes, I think I I really work best with a simpatico uh, artist. In in either case, I mean there are pianists and musicians, there are players that I work with and who are who add so much to what I do that I can't imagine working without them. And then of course on the songwriting level, I'm entranced by people like jimmy webb just mm. knocks me out and of course leonard cohen and of course joni mitchell who is one of the greatest songwriters ever to hit the <laughs> hit the earth yep uh and so you have yes you have other kinds of relationships with people who are songwriters than you do with people who are instrumentalists absolutely
0: thank you um Actually, one of the cuts off your latest album is called So Alive, and it basically talks about being young and creative in New York, Greenwich Village, to be exact, in the 1960s. Let's hear some of that now.
1: Oh, good. <laughs> Down in Greenwich Village, we were scattered through the night singing.
0: so that's so alive off of the album Spellbound just released in February 2022 Judy were you um were you working on that for a while because that was a long time in coming
1: that's that song about the 60s I was reaching for the scene so that I could put across what it felt like my my sister said to me who is that song about who is So alive about, and I said it's probably about a singer named David Blue, and he did have a single bed, and he always did leave by dawn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great. Great stories in that song. Now, this leads me to another uh, new endeavor of yours. Um, Aside from releasing uh, an album of all originals for the first time, your dad was in radio. And you actually started a podcast just last year. It's called Since You've Asked, which was the name of the very first song you wrote in 1966, I believe. And that was nudged by Leonard Cohen, right? Right. Yes, absolutely. All right. So, so far on your podcast, you've talked with the likes of the Broadway singer Betty Buckley, Ben Harper, Julia Cameron, Jeff Daniels is one that I listened to. What made you want to start um, finally doing that yourself?
1: Well, I had an idea. It was during the pandemic, and I was doing a lot of interviews with a lot of different people, and my manager said, why don't we just do some podcasts so that you'll have a chance to talk to people at length I talked to uh, the president of my record company, who's still my very good friend, Jack Holtzman. And then I talked to Clive Davis. I was never a client of Clive, but because we've been friends for 60 years, he invites me to his parties. I caught COVID at one of his birthday parties, but don't tell anybody. And uh, because, you know, it was a big party and nobody was wearing masks. And we've been so sheltered for almost two years. And uh, But I, I did a wonderful podcast with, uh, with Clive, and I asked him, I said, I have an unusual question for you. I said, tell me about the one who got away. And he said, well, that's a good question. People don't ever ask me that. They ask who I dropped. And I said, well, what's the answer? And um, he, he was quiet for a moment, and then he said, well, it was Harry Chapin. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, how did he get away? And he said, well, your guy, Jack Holzman, who ran Electra, came up to uh, where I lived in Pound Ridge and brought a bigger check. <laughs>
0: Right. <laughs> That'll so, do it. I guess that's the way those things work. Uh, I can imagine a lot of behind-the-scenes uh, showbiz stories coming out of this podcast series. Who are some guests that you're going to have on
1: in the near future? I have uh, Christian Amanpour is oh. coming up. And, uh, and I don't think that the Clive Davis has been released yet, but that's coming up too. So, And then we have a long list and a lot of surprises. Terrific. Where can we hear uh, your podcast? Chris, Chris Wallace oh. told me that he would do a podcast with me. So that's on our list.
0: Okay. Well, now he's committed. It's going out over the airwaves. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Where can we hear your podcast? You can hear them on my on my uh, website. And you can go to iTunes and to a uh, lot of the other uh, platforms and just uh, ask for Judy Collins since you've asked.
0: Okay, and your website is judycollins.com.
1: Yeah.
0: My guest is Judy Collins on the Jefferson Exchange, who's won the Lifetime Achievement Awards from both American Music Association and BBC Radio. Judy, I'm going to play one more clip from your album Spellbound. This is Thomas Merton. The
1: wind sang in the bare wood Thomas prayed by the trees. I heard him whisper through my dreams that life was a reprieve.
0: So that's Thomas Merton, a track off of your album, Spellbound. What made you want to write about this monk and writer?
1: I was always an admirer of his work, his writing, and during the pandemic, I've I found myself rereading a lot of things, including his meditation books, which I try to read every day. And I was curious to know what people were thinking about Merton. I knew he had died in Thailand in 1968, accidentally stepping on a live wire in a bathroom or uh, near a bathtub that he was uh, involved with. And when I went online to look him up, I found out that there was a book that had been published in 2015 called The Martyrdom of Thomas Merton that told the story of what they think was a murder. And it made sense in the sense that he was threatened by the Church to stop talking against the war in Vietnam. In fact, when he died, the Church said that they would would never give him sainthood because he was against the war in Vietnam, which of course made him my best friend. And in Thailand, in 1968, it was crawling with CIA. We were bombing, we were using the, the airport, the airfields to bomb Laos, Cambodia and Vietnam out of um, Thailand. And, you know, this guy was a danger because he was so dramatically exponentially against war and you know that was of course those years were terrible years. Martin Luther King was killed and John F. Kennedy was killed and Robert Kennedy was killed and who else and who know knew how many other righteous uh, believers in peace were done away with mm-hmm. among them Thomas Merton.
0: And now you're bringing attention to his life and work to a whole new generation. So that's a a wonderful aspect of songwriting.
1: It is, truly. And I tried to write it as a mystery. So I'm hoping that it survives as such. So you're my guest,
0: you're my debut guest on the new segment, My Better Half. Uh, stories from people thriving in their later years. What would you say to any listeners who might be hesitant to start a new endeavor in late life?
1: Oh, you have to keep changing. You have to be going along with the flow because that's why we're here. (laughs) We're here to adapt to the changes and to follow the incredible example of nature who is which is always changing, changing, ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-renewing itself, ever-doing the unpredictable and the forgivable and the excitable. So we're part of that. And because we can see it even better as we grow older, it's accessible. I've done so many things that I was afraid of doing, including making this album of my own songs. I don't think the fear really took hold because I did have many songs out on many albums and have had a long, I mean, I'm now in my seventh decade of this career in which I sing and I travel and I work and I perform and I write and I write books and so on. And it's been the most satisfying and exciting. And of course I meet people all over the world that are interesting and that I really need in my life. So I don't think there's anything wrong with taking risks and jumping into it with all four feet and uh, enjoying the ride. Beautiful. My guest
0: has been Grammy-winning singer-songwriter and author Judy Collins. You'll be able to hear this segment as a podcast at IJPR.org. Thanks for tuning into the Jefferson Exchange. I'm Vanessa Finney.